This week on the Tech on Tap podcast, we set out to demystify NetApp cloud volumes and help you understand where they fit in the data fabric. Welcome to the Tech on Tap podcast with Justin Parisi and Sully the Monster. I love NetApp. Oh, yeah. I love NetApp because it's so funny. Hello and welcome to the Tech on Tap podcast. My name is Justin Parisi. I'm here in the studio and on the phone is everybody, um, including Andrew Sullivan. Hi, Andrew. Hello, Justin. So I understand you're quarantined right now. Well, yes, thanks to you there, patient zero, typhoid Justin. I told you to stay away from me. So, And usually I do. It was the one day in the month that uh, apparently our time in the office crisscrossed. Yeah, crisscross will make you jump. So, um, yeah, so Andrew's at home uh, playing sick. I mean, actually is sick. I mean, whatever. It doesn't matter. Oh, a little of both. It's okay. Yeah, it's fine. So um, we'll, we'll send him some chicken noodle soup virtually. Uh, but right now we've also got uh, some cloud volumes folks on the phone here today. So to talk about cloud volumes and what they are and what they do, uh, we've got uh, Ingo Fuchs. So Ingo, if you could tell us what you do here at NetApp and how to reach you on social media. Yeah, absolutely. Hey, everybody. And um, I'm, I'm tempted to ask a lot of questions about how you guys get each other infected, but I think I'll keep that for another day. Yeah, that's, um, that's not appropriate for podcast, <laughs> so we'll, we'll talk about it later. <laughs> all right, sounds good. Yeah, so I, I run uh, product marketing for all of our cloud data services here at NetApp, and um, I'm easily reached uh, by email, firstname.lastname at netapp.com, and on Twitter at Ingo Fuchs. All right. Also on the phone, uh, Iki Rafnison. Did I say that right, Iki? Yeah, not even close. Not even close. Oh. <laughs> no. Okay. Well, how do I how do we, how do we say it? Because that that that, does, that spelling doesn't make sense to me. <laughs> <laughs> it doesn't to most people. Uh, so my name is Iki Rafnison. Uh, I'm uh, currently technical director in the cloud data services, and also. Uh, Taking taking uh, uh, another stab at NetApp's Data Fabric as chief chief architect of, of uh, Data Fabric, so we we're working with Ingo and and more of the sort of sales and marketing organization to help um, get the message out about cloud volumes and and answer most of the technical questions that uh, we've had from from the sales organization now and doing things like this podcast and. You know, working working the rooms and at Converge, and yeah, trying to uh, demystify what we're doing in the cloud data services. And, and there is a considerable amount of mist out there, so we're going to try to clear that up. So, uh, Iki, you came by way of uh, Green Cloud, right? Yeah, I was uh, co-founder of Green Cloud, and um, uh, came over to NetApp through the acquisition in last August. Rumor has it that we just basically bought you. We didn't. We you know we wanted Green Cloud, but we said <laughs> he was the biggest part of that puzzle. It, I think that's volume based. It's volume based. I'm, I'm six seven, so I think that's 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 what people mean. Iki as a service, <laughs> no, no. something I don't know. Yeah, we've got a fantastic team that's now referred to as uh, the Nice Team or NetApp Iceland, and it's headed by uh, Jonsi, uh, our former CEO is now VP of uh, engineering uh, in the cloud data services business unit. And uh, 
it's a rapidly growing team, and now that we've also or Yonsei also um, takes care of uh, cloud backup, which is the new name or the future name for um, what we build out of the AltaVault uh, IP. Uh, it's it's a growing team, and we're doing a lot of cool stuff for the cloud, and and we'll uh, expand on cloud volumes. All right, so. Um to get to that, now let's talk about cloud volumes themselves. So um, my understanding is that cloud volumes is not ONTAP cloud, and it is also not infrastructure as a service. So if you could tell us what cloud volumes are and why it is not what those other two things are. Yeah, I mean, uh, I, I would actually not say that it's, that it's not infrastructure as a service. Uh, it is a building block. So if you look at infrastructure as a service as a building block, it definitely is a building block of the of the public cloud building blocks. So, um, you know, the, the biggest differentiator I would say here is that cloud volumes is a um, file services or our file services uh, that are purely in the public cloud. So it, we like to talk about, you know, cloud adjacent technologies and then native cloud technologies. And native cloud technologies are things like cloud volumes. You would think of like Amazon EBS as a native cloud storage technology. Uh, while something like uh, ONTAP Cloud or what has been rebranded as um, cloud volumes on tap, just to keep that you know in the same category as, as our other cloud offerings, um, that is more of a, a, a software delivery as a service. So one of them is you know, both of them are native to the cloud, but uh, cloud volumes as a service is really highly, highly integrated into each cloud provider so that, you know, the security controls from the cloud provider work for them. Uh, they're integrated into network offerings and, and, and such. Uh, cloud adjacent technologies would be something like NPS. It's not really, you know, it's, it's running, it's connected to the public cloud, but there's no automation, there's no uh, predefined integration with any of the other services. So the benefit for something like cloud volumes is getting a volume, uh, whether it's NFS or SMB, that's been predefined and pre-networked to work with any of the services that are native to that public cloud provider. So if you wanted to use, you know, SageMaker in AWS, or you wanted to use something like HD Insights in Azure, or you wanted to connect to uh, Kubernetes uh, as a service from one of the public cloud providers into a cloud volume, you could do that just as easily as it was a native service. Um, so what you get is you know, a volume that has multiple protocols. Uh, you can have SMB and NFS at the same time, for example, and we'll be adding uh, more protocols down the line. Um, but you get a guaranteed service level. So you don't have to configure anything other than you know what speed or what um, service level you want or SLO you want, uh, and you create the volume and it's ready to use. Like there's there's no setting up anything. It it's kind of an underwhelming demo because it takes about eight to ten seconds to get to a hundred terabyte volume, which before like with ONTAP Cloud or with ONTAP in general would take a whole lot more time. So now it's just, you know, click, 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 or API call, and you have a volume that has an SLA, which is unheard of in the public cloud. And now you can do multi-read, multi-write 
which is going to enable a whole lot more applications in the public cloud that were not feasible before and at a very high performance. So I think this is one of the more interesting things about cloud volume services in that a lot of times when we talk to a storage administrator, they say, oh, cool, you know, it's super easy for them to just consume the storage and they don't have to, you know, it's an SLA, they don't have to worry about it. And then they ask things like, well, what's the underlying storage system and what type of disks are they and how many disks are there in the aggregates and, you know, all of these other things that just don't matter because we're not yeah. exposing any of that. Yeah, exactly. And, and it's a good point. And, and, from we're just coming from Converge, so so we've had a lot of those conversations, and I think the best answer to that came from from Brendan Howe, um, and the answer was, you know, if you're having a conversation, uh, it's the wrong conversation because you don't need to talk about what's running underneath cloud volumes at all, because we have the performance numbers, we have an SLA. That is what really the end user is trying to get to. I mean, if the storage, if the storage admin really wants to know what's being running behind it, ask him why, because that's not part of their their cloud requirements to know what's running underneath. Yeah, I always like to point out to people know what type of servers Amazon uses or the model of the network adapter, et cetera. Right? These are unimportant details. The only thing that matters is how much capacity and and what speed do you want. Yeah, that's, that's completely correct. And it's funny sort of um, how that conversation starts. And usually it ends with like, oh, yeah, okay, I get it now. Like, of course, I wouldn't ask Amazon, you know, what specific type of Intel CPU they have on their M1 large instance. Like, it, it's not a thing that you need to know. You just need to know what you're, what you're getting for your money. So, Ingo, when we talk with our customers about cloud volume services, are we generally talking to the, the traditional, you know, NetApp storage team or infrastructure team? Or are we talking to applications teams? Who's the target audience for these? Mm -hmm. Yeah, that's a really interesting question because very often we see that the traditional storage audiences prefer to have the conversation that we just started having about, you know, I really want to understand every single aspect, and ideally I want to go into the CLI, I want to, want to turn all the knobs that I can turn on-premises. And guess what? You can do that with cloud volumes on tap. So that, that doesn't go away. The, the opportunity with the cloud volume service is really to expand our audiences, and we find ourselves talking to the cloud architect, talking to the developer who is actually a customer of the cloud architect within our accounts, um, to the people that run the DevOps organization within, you know, our customers. It really gives us the ability to say, all right, hang on, so you're moving a workload to the cloud. What's stopping you from moving this workload to the cloud? And we're hearing, well, I need support for SMB. I need support for NFS v3. I need support for both at the same time. Um, I need to be able to have multiple applications access the same data at the same time, which is not that easy to do in the cloud. I need the ability to revert back to a safe state, um, you know, if I screw up, right? This is a great pitch to a developer. Hey, if you screw up, you can use an API call and just go back to a previous state. Nobody will ever know um, because we have our snapshots and cloning capabilities that we are exposing through the service as well. And so there are a lot of additional value that we can provide, but sometimes it's just this really simple thing is that somebody says, I have this application and it needs NFS v3 or SMB and there just isn't anything out there I can use. 
now there is. And so you can stop thinking about rewriting applications and just start migrating them, moving them into the cloud. And, and on top of that, we have seen that even cloud-native applications run faster on cloud volumes than they do on, on alternative services. So this whole kind of the theme that we have around cloud volumes being a, a native cloud service, which is really important, right, because you don't have to do software updates or anything like that anymore. It just works. Um, that we provide unprecedented performance compared to any of the other options that are out there today, and that we're providing advanced data management that nobody else is able to provide in a native cloud service today either, with snapshots and clones and, and other things. The ability to change performance levels on the fly, the ability to enlarge or reduce the size of the volume at any time while you're, while you're working on it, all of this is stuff that nobody else can do. So our customers aren't asking for it because they don't know it's even possible. So it's really up to us to go to the cloud architects, to the developer communities, but even to some of our you know, traditional storage audiences and explain what we can do uh, that's completely different than what they might be expecting. So uh, I want to take a moment to, to revisit vocabulary because for, uh, you know, ho hopefully most of the NetApp employees who are listening know what cloud volume services and cloud volumes on tap are, but maybe not our non-employee audience. Um, and then the, the second thing that I wanted to ask about is, so NetApp calls cloud volume services something different than what those hyperscalers might be calling that, correct? Yes. So when we talk about internally about cloud volumes, what we're really talking about is, you know, the cloud volume service, whether it's on AWS, Amazon, or GCP. Like we collectively, we call it cloud volumes. Um, the differences between these services on the hyperscalers is not really a technical one. It, it's, well, in some cases, it's, it's a little technical, but in general, um, you could think of it as uh, three types of services uh, that almost all of them cost the same and the, and the service levels are the same. So the biggest differentiator is on Microsoft. So in Azure, we've got uh, the brand name, is, it's uh, Azure NetApp Files, right? On the other ones called Cloud Volumes on AWS, uh, Cloud Volumes on GCP. The reason why is because the Azure service is a first party Microsoft service. It's really owned by Microsoft. It's their offering, although we develop it and support it um, alongside them. Uh, on AWS, it's purely a NetApp service uh, that we expose through the marketplace. And on Google, it is sort of a hybrid. It's where we provide the service and the API, but the integration with Google's console and all of that is done by Google themselves. So native look and feel in Google, native look and feel in Azure, our own portal in, in AWS. And um, uh, from, a, from a sort of sales perspective, uh, the reason why we also call this uh, cloud native, a cloud native service, is because you can only buy these things through the marketplaces or through the billing of the hyperscalers. And that's really, really important because that also means that you know they are also co-selling these um, solutions with us and uh, customers can actually like on azure can actually use credits that they already have and we don't have to and we really should not try and convince these uh, potential customers which cloud they should select 
I mean, it's actually one of the reasons why we wanted to be on all the hyperscalers is so that we can be wherever the cost customer wants to be and not having to push them to, you know, a particular cloud. We can also move between clouds pretty easily, right? So if, even if you choose one, it doesn't mean you're stuck there. No, of course not. I mean, it's, it's you know, technologies like CloudSync uh, is what, you know, one of the technologies that's available now. If you would require something like uh, um, SnapMirror, you would have to use cloud volumes on tap uh, for now, but that's just a, a technology hurdle that we're uh, crossing in the in the next um, few months. But Cloud okay. Sync actually allows you to get data back and forth from any source, so on-prem to cloud or cloud to cloud, whatever you like. Yeah, one of our first um, production customers in AWS, they are a very, very strong multi-cloud customer, and we see this increasingly today. Customers have become a lot more sophisticated over the last few years in understanding what services are really, really good at one hyperscaler versus another. So they they run certain workloads in one cloud, other workloads in another cloud, like Aki said as well. And what that leads to is that they're expecting us to provide similar functionality, similar services across all of their hyperscalers that they're choosing, and they get that with the cloud volume service. So they don't feel like they are, they're forced by us into one hyperscaler. That's not a position we want to be in. So you mentioned that the performance is a lot better. How does that happen? Like, what you know, what's the technical reasoning behind that, and what sort of performance are you seeing in comparison to other cloud solutions? Yeah, that's that's interesting. I mean, if you compare our stuff to some of the native um, offerings, there's obviously going to be a huge uh, difference between the performance um, of our stuff based uh, versus something that like the customer would would build themselves. So, I mean, first hurdle for customers is just getting file services in general running in the public cloud. That on its own is hard. When we first delivered like the first preview version of cloud volumes, we pretty much sort of used EFS as a guideline for what sort of APIs we want to have and all of that. We didn't even look at the, the performance levels um, in the beginning, uh, but we knew that we had to at least be on par with something like EFS. So there's, there's a huge performance um, gain to be had by using cloud volumes over any, any of the existing file-based services in the public clouds. And uh, we've started really, uh, we, we want to make it simple. So out of the gate, we essentially have three service levels of uh, three performance levels um, standard, um, premium, and, and extreme across the board. And technically, these sort of translate to about 16 megabytes um, per second per terabyte on the standard side. Uh, I think the premium is about 65 megabytes per second per terabyte. And then on the high end, we've got something called extreme, which is around 130, 130 megabytes per second per terabyte. So there, there's... You know, there's a level, service level, performance level for, for any type of workload there. And like Inko mentioned, the really cool part about this is that you could, you know, sign up a customer, start using it, you know, even in standard mode. And then when they see that their application is, you know, having 
having some performance issues, maybe because the, the database is, is not responding fast enough, they could just change the service level on the volume running that database to premium or to extreme to boost performance. And that's without any downtime to their application, which is just something you, you can't do with existing services. I mean, you can't even snapshot, you can't even snapshot um, a volume with something like EFS without it being disruptive. And, you know, snapshots outside of NetApp always, almost always mean a full copy. So there's also that um, downside to not having something like cloud volumes. So that performance savings where you can boost the performance, you know, to 20 times, 40 times, does that offer any cost benefit outside of completion times? I mean, is there is there an extra cost benefit in the cloud by having that boost of performance or is it just the same as you'd have as on-prem? Yeah, so, I mean, the, the quote that we've heard some customers talk about, uh, you know, being surprised at the, the price performance uh, we have, um, we, we heard things like, you know, 20 times faster, but 20% cheaper. Like, that's, that's a pretty amazing feat, I would say, because we've, and the only reason why we can do that is because we've built on top of ONTAP, which has this amazing, uh, both software and hardware, and um, we effectively take the, the cost savings, uh, the efficiencies, and build that into the price model. So you will get, you know, the agility, the customer gets the agility of, you know, instantly creating stuff and being, being able to use something that's high performance backed by an SLA. Um, and they get the agility of, you know, clones and instant snapshots. But the efficiency of the storage is something that, you know, we build into the, the price of the service. So we, we're keeping the efficiency savings, but, you know, handing over the agility and those um, critical features to the end customer. So, Ingo, what are people using cloud volumes for today? I mean, what sort of workloads are you seeing put onto them? Yeah, actually, a, a, a variety. So, we are seeing use cases in terms of what applications they're using, what workloads they're running against it, um, across a number of different industries. So, we are, we are currently in controlled availability with AWS. So, we have a number of production customers, some of them very, very large production customers on there. And by the way, some of them, this is the first time they have ever bought anything from NetApp because, you know, they needed this kind of service in the cloud, so there was no existing relationship. Um, and we're in preview with both Azure and with GCP. So we're getting some really good information back from our customers. And so whether it's genomics or manufacturing, retail, it's all over the place in terms of industries. Then what we are seeing in terms of workload is a focus on, well, this is very broad, but it's kind of very broad space of file services. So it's any kind of application that runs against file services because NFS or SMB. And we're working to kind of make that a little bit more precise, um, but that's what we're seeing a lot. And then if you go into the application level, we see a lot of analytics, uh, database-type workloads, and we're starting to see uh, quite a lot of interest in the DevOps space as well. Yeah, let me add to that on the DevOps space. I mean, when we came over from GreenCloud, we our sort of core business was application orchestration um, and, you know, running Kubernetes, running hypervisors on-prem and controlling hybrid cloud. Now, one of the gaps there, you know, in hybrid cloud in general is the ability, the availability of a consistent uh, backing store or file system that works the same way across all hyperscalers. 
So I think cloud volumes is going to play a pretty critical role in the future of, of um, cloud development and specifically application development that is scheduled on hyperscalers with tools like Kubernetes. And we happen to have a pretty fantastic team within NetApp building a driver for Kubernetes called Trident. Uh, this also works on premises, but the cool thing about Trident now in the public cloud is that once you install that on any of the hyperscaler Kubernetes engines, or if you build your own cluster for, for container-based applications, uh, that can automatically control cloud volumes for you because we have an open API. So we're, I think we're going to see a, an explosion of, of DevOps-based and containerized applications using cloud volumes in the near future. And I'm, I'm very, very excited about that. I think that's going to be a, a, a huge, huge space for us in the, in the near future. Yeah, and you can tell that it's built into the core of the service. <clears throat> when I saw the first demo when we started prototyping in the cloud volume service, and I was wondering why do we auto-generate volume tasks? Uh, it just uh, initially didn't make any sense to me because I come from a more traditional storage world. I'm like, you know, no, I, I want to I determine what my volume path is. You know, that's what you do. This is my SQL server. This is, you know, this and that. And uh, so by default, uh, the cloud volume service will auto-generate those paths for you. Now, you can put your own path name in. It's really cool. No problem. It's very easy to do. But then, you know, I was talking to Aki, actually, uh, and he pointed out, well, if you're auto-generating volumes, hundreds or thousands of volumes to run huge, you know, container environments in the public cloud, you don't want to go in and manually create volume paths. And we're like, oh, okay, that makes sense. It just kind of it shows you that a lot of that thinking, a lot of that um, that experience, and that architectural background that the Green Cloud team has, just went right into that service. So it's not something we have to retrofit into something that was built 25 years ago, but something that really natively comes through their orchestration layer. So, Aki, um, cloud volumes. What do you see as the future for them? And you know, is it something that's going to be integral to how we build ONTAP as a on the whole? So I think cloud volumes is really our building block in the same way as Amazon needed EC2 and S3 to be able to build everything else. So now that we're established in three major cloud providers, um, we've really you know, put the, the pedal to, to the metal and uh, started releasing new features at a more rapid pace. And it's interesting that I think we've released about four or five new major features like multi-protocol volumes and, and, uh, and are bringing out new capabilities like cloud backup and cloud insights in the near term. So if you think about cloud volumes as a one-stop and a one-time one sale, it really isn't because it's kind of like the like uh, I think Anthony Lee has said that it's kind of a gift that's going to keep on giving because um, our goal is to enable additional services um, and upsells to happen because of cloud volumes. So once the user has been onboarded there, there's a whole lot of innovation that's about to be unleashed um, on top of whatever use case they have today. So one of those things I wanted to mention is our work with HCI. Now, our 
initial goal um, with cloud volumes was just to get it on all of these cloud providers. Now, we kind of figured out that there was a lot of need for additional orchestration um, just to make it easier, especially on the application side. So our sort of next goal with um, HCI as the cloud services unit is to help HCI become more part of this data fabric that cloud volumes are part of. And to that end, uh, we talked at Converge about bringing application orchestration to HCI, and that would enable it to be really connected to the public cloud services that, that, that we're uh, building here. So in, in sort of financial year 2000, uh, financial year 19, um, we want to be able to connect these two better than we do today. And um, I think people should look forward to seeing, you know, cloud volumes, cloud backup, cloud insights, and all of these things being integrated on a multi-cloud level and including the on-premises play with HCI. So it sounds like we're going all in with this cloud volume stuff, huh? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, it's uh, it's an exciting time to be at NetApp. I think we've we've managed to deliver what we promised to deliver in a very very quick way. Um, but it's we're just getting started, and that's kind of what I'm mostly excited most excited about is that we haven't really we haven't really shown all our cards yet, which is which is fun. Yeah, we did. Yeah, I think what's really exciting is to, to see how this resonates uh, with our customers, but also with our partners and, and other audiences like uh, analysts. So I just had two weeks ago um, a very, very um, well-recognized analyst in, in this space pretty much complained to us that they were getting too many inquiries from customers about NetApp's cloud strategy because customers were trying to you know, get on board and they want to hear from analysts about it. And, and so they were very excited about what we were doing. But they're saying, we're getting so many requests, you know, what's going on over there? Um, which is, uh, as Aki said, it's a very exciting time to be at NetApp. That wasn't always the case. They were complaining because they had to do work? Yep, too much of it. But they get paid <laughs> for it, so I think it's okay. I know, right? Come on. <laughs> they, I mean, do they get paid by the request? <laughs> they are. They are. So I think they complained with a smile on their face. Oh, yeah. there you go. Oh, it's so terrible. So, uh, Aki, you did a uh, Storage Field Day event uh, recently. Um, was that Storage Field Day 15? Yeah, I did. A, well, it was. I think it was Cloud Tech Field Day. Oh, that's right. Cloud Field Day. That's right. So we'll yeah. put the uh, link to that in the show notes in case people want to get a look at your presentation, as well as put a visual to the towering uh, Icelander here. <laughs> <laughs> so, uh, Ingo, if people wanted to get more information about Cloud Volumes, is there a centralized location they can find that? Yeah, actually. So uh, maybe two two points here. One is for everybody. Um, we have a site called Cloud Central. Uh, and that's essentially where you go to find out about trials you might have opened. You can register for preview programs. You can activate services you have bought. You can actually manage your cloud environment right from inside Cloud Central. So it's not just a marketing page, but it's actually a portal where you go to do anything and everything that you want to do with cloud. And that's at cloud.netup.com. So I hope that's easy enough. I hope everybody will be able to remember that. 
Um, if you have a NetApp uh, single sign-on, you can actually use your single sign-on. Otherwise, it's free, it's open. Uh, go for it, check it out uh, today. So that's cloud.netapp.com. And then for our channel partners that are listening in, um, I just want to make this point because the question comes up a lot. It's like, well, so this is a service that you're selling through the marketplaces. So I'm in the marketplaces, so that's great. But is there something else that I can do together with NetApp? And we actually have a channel partner program called the Cloud First Program uh, that you can sign up for. And if you qualify, you actually get additional incentives um, in, on top of the incentives that you're getting natively from the hyperscalers through their channel partner and marketplace partner programs. So the Cloud First Partner Program, we have that information on our website as well. But um, primary call to action, I would encourage everybody to go to cloud.netup.com and uh, check back often because these guys are on a roll. I mean, engineering rolls out new release about every other week with new features coming out. So um, it's, a, it's a very, very fast-paced world, that's for sure. One more thing um, for those who want also possibly demo through a UI. Um, there's the option now in the on-demand labs to run your own cloud volumes environment. Obviously, you're not going to be able to show something like performance and all that because it's just running in our labs. But I think it's a, it's a great way to get to know the, um, the user interface and, and sort of the capabilities of the service. Yeah, and these lab on-demands, they're only available to internal and partner, right? Yes. Just want to clarify that because we've had that question before. <laughs> So, all right, cool. All right, Ingo, uh, I, uh, <laughs> <Aiki>. <laughs> I was gonna, I was pronouncing it right earlier than I was going to pronounce it wrong again. Uh, thanks for joining us today. Uh, if we want to get in touch with you again, how do we reach you, Aki? Um, I'm just Aki, E-I-K-I, at netapp.com. And uh, my Twitter handle is my full first name, Eirikur, H-E-I-R-I-K-U-R-H. Um, yeah. I'll include that in the show notes in case people don't get that the first time. And Ingo, how do we reach you? Yeah, just find me at ingo.fuchs at netup.com or at ingofuchs on Twitter. Uh, and you can find me on YouTube. If what? You for Ingo Fuchs NetUp. Wow. We got a YouTube celebrity yeah, on the, it's, on it's the podcast. It's just like two videos with a demo of Cloud Volumes, but hey. Hey, don't, short, don't sell yourself short there, Ingo. It takes, takes a lot of effort to get on YouTube. Hey, I'm working on the 9,000 views. I'm over 8,000. <laughs> Whoa, hey, there you go. You're beating me out. All right, guys, thanks so much for joining us. All right, that music tells me it's time to go. If you'd like to get in touch with us, send us an email to podcast at netup.com or send us a tweet at netup. As always, if you'd like to subscribe, find us on iTunes, SoundCloud, and Stitcher or via techontappodcast.com. If you like the show today, leave us a review. On behalf of the entire Tech on Tap podcast team, I'd like to thank Aki Hranson and Inga Fuchs for joining us this week. As always, thanks for listening. Oh, yeah. Is it just me that's getting off on this? Oh, yeah.